Hello. Hello. We should, we should start. Um, so welcome to Wising. Uh, I'm John Bloomfield, the assistant curator at Wising and the curator of this exhibition, More of an Avalanche. Uh, thank you all for coming to Wising on this, um, what's turning out to be quite a nice day. Um, we're very lucky to have some really brilliant speakers today who are going to help us unpack and explore some of the themes of uh, More of an Avalanche. Um, I hope you've had a chance to look around and to see the work that we've really been excited about over the last 12, uh, over the last 12 months. Uh, if not, there will be some time during the break, and uh, the exhibition doesn't actually finish until tomorrow afternoon, so if you wanted to spend the whole weekend at Wising, you could be more than welcome <laughs> to do that. Um, so I'm just going to say a few words about the exhibition before we begin. Um, the first exhibition of the year at Wising traditionally presents work produced here over the previous 12 months. And uh, one of the initial aims of this exhibition was to acknowledge that a lot of the work that goes on here is ephemeral, discursive, experimental, or still in development, and that an idea pursued in a formal uh, symposium, a kitchen table discussion, or a brief moment during a DJ set could be as important as a material form so uh, I was very keen that the exhibition reflected the fact that the bedrock of Wising's programme is really made up of these kinds of moments, residencies, retreats, events, and a music festival. So it's an exhibition that attempts to temporarily pin things down, to uh, take a snapshot of something that's always moving. And so with, with that in mind, I'm really excited that today's event will close the exhibition by agitating things and getting them to move again, by unfixing things. Uh, as, you, as you may know, the thematic starting point of the show was to think about sensitivity and the political importance of that. And already with today's event, we're at a remove from that and ready to explore some diverse sub-themes such as intergenerational conversation, sickness and crip theory, anti-stimulation and the dissolution of spaces for uh, both critical conversation and club culture. So we'll begin by hearing from uh, Nick Aikens, a curator at Eindhoven's Van Abbe Museum, co-curator of the fantastic The Places Here exhibition, some of you may have seen at Nottingham Contemporary, South London Gallery or MIMA last year, and a curator of a brilliant new retrospective of Rashid Arin. Um, Nick and I will have a conversation in which I'll invite him to draw on this research to contextualise more of an avalanche. This will be followed by a conversation between Raju Rage and Trishna Shah in the gallery, so we first saw a version of Raju's installation, Undervalued Energetic Economy, when Raju was in residence at Wising last year. And the work has been, I would say, absolutely central to the development of this exhibition. So we're really pleased that Raju uh, can be here and can be joined by Trishna, one of the uh, contributors to the interview uh, portion of the work. And then following a short break, we will hear three presentations expanding on some of the exhibition's themes. Artist Leah Clements will talk about a newly forged network of art practitioners interested in issues around sickness and crip theory, who Leah has invited to be in residence at Wising later in the year. Uh, Leah has brought along a new virtual reality work that explores some of these ideas, Sickbed, that you are um, invited to explore um, during the break, so that's available at reception. And then current artist in residence, Phoebe Collins-James, will present research around a new work she is developing with uh, last year's interesting Negro, Negro uh, Jamila Johnson-Small. This new collaborative work will be embodied through a symbiotic relationship between dance, music and sculpture, and we'll ask what an anti-assimilationist practice might look and sound like in 2018. 
Following that, we'll hear a presentation from Elijah, a DJ, producer, and co-founder of the label Butters, and current associate artistic director of the Lighthouse in Brighton. Elijah will be discussing Last Dance, a project he instigated that looks into the rapid changes affecting UK club culture. Finally, we'll have an open discussion, uh, which Nick will chair, in which we'll get a chance to connect some of these disparate themes and hopefully to hear from uh, you in the audience. So at this point, I just wanted to quickly mention that we've also been joined in the audience by two of the artists in the exhibition, uh, Harold Offe, who you might recognise from the photo series in the gallery, and uh, Zinzi Minot, who produced the fantastic Gunfingers and Opaque Bullets film in the open studio. So we may be lucky enough to hear from them as well. Um, okay, so just to formally introduce Nick, uh, Nick Aikins has been a tutor at the Dutch Art Institute Art Praxis since 2013. He's currently a curator at the Van Abbe Museum. Uh, recent and ongoing projects are focused on the 1980s and specifically the UK black arts movement and a retrospective monograph on Rashid Arin. So the idea of this uh, conversation is perhaps quite perverse. It's to introduce the themes of one exhibition by talking about a completely different project. But uh, I guess the hope uh, is that by revisiting Nick's uh, research into the 1980s in the UK and the black arts movement, we might be able to build up a bit of a historical context for what's happening in more of an avalanche and to look at uh, to look at this show with a longer historical lens and to kind of maybe uh, draw out some other questions. So, Nick, would you be able to start by saying some brief words about the, the two projects, or the kind of overlapping sure. research project? Sure, sure. So, firstly, thank you. Uh, can you hear me? Sorry. Um, thank you very much, um, John and everyone at Wising, for having me. It's lovely to be here um, on the last weekend of the show. And congratulations on the show. It's really, um, it's really wonderful to see, having seen the images. Um, so, yeah, as you said, it's slightly, um, slightly strange and one feels slightly um, uncomfortable coming into a, a moment where you're celebrating the end of your show and then to start talking about one's own projects, which happened elsewhere. Um, but maybe it can, um, can serve to, as you say, Pull out some pull out some threads and, and give a kind of longer longer lens. So maybe I'll begin with the uh, places here exhibition, um, which was a show that began actually in a kind of in another guise in Eindhoven where I work, um, under uh, the title uh, "Thinking Back: A Montage of Black Art in Britain," um, and that was part of a um, larger exhibition that looked at the 1980s from uh, different perspectives across Europe. Um, and the aim of that exhibition was to try and um, analyze or think about the importance of the 1980s for today. Um, we were working with uh, a number of partners, collaborators in different institutions in Europe who for different, uh, at different moments had all arrived at the 1980s, all thought about the 1980s as this moment where this very important change takes place um, between uh, how governments... Uh, and state and civil society, the public, um, relate to one another. Um, a really important shift seemed to take place in the 1980s where, these, where, where governments and the state started to, uh, governments and the public started to mean different things to one another. Um, and that could happen in uh, the kind of the, the transition in Spain after the end of Franco's dictatorship. It can happen in the end of uh, the disintegration of Yugoslavia or it can happen in Thatcher's Britain. Um, so this 1980s is this really important moment where we're kind of we're, we're living with the ramifications of that today. Um, and within that, I, um, uh, being uh, 
being British, wanted to think about the 1980s from the perspective of uh, Britain. And of course, one begins with uh, Thatcher when one thinks of the 1980s Britain. Um, and so I, I started uh, this research for the 1980s Britain, reading Stuart Hall's text around where he introduces the term Thatcherism. Um, and from there, to cut a very long story short, I went on a kind of um, a, a journey to discover the group of artists, thinkers, filmmakers, activists who've become associated with this not unproblematic term, uh, the black arts movement, uh, which none of the artists within associated with it would, would adhere to or conform to, but it allows us to, to kind of um, uh, group a sort of certain discussion together. Um, and so within the, within the show in, in Eindhoven, it was kind of set in context to these other uh, European perspectives. I was then invited to, to um, develop that show in Nottingham Contemporary uh, with the um, director Sam Thorne. Um, and then it became a kind of standalone exhibition and a very different, very different thing for many different reasons. A, you're not looking at it as this... Um, a kind of polyphonic, to use your uh, term, um, configuration, but you're looking at it as a standalone thing. It's in Nottingham in the Midlands where many of these conversations between the um, artists happened. Um, and of course it's the most kind of, uh, although there's been lots of, lots of work into this period in the 1980s and, and looking at black artists in Britain in the 1980s, it was the kind of most ambitious and largest coming together of some of these artists. So it becomes, it becomes a whole different thing, a whole different enterprise and, um, and quite sort of loaded in a certain way. Um, and, and one of the premises of the exhibition, um, both in, in the Van Abba and then in Nottingham and then in South London, um, was to think about this term montage uh, when thinking about the 1980s. Um, and to think about montage both as something that happens within many of the artists' work, um, so practices of collage, montage in filmmaking that's happening with um, the film collectives who are working in the 80s, um, but also to think about it as a curatorial device, as a way of working. How do you bring um, different elements together uh, to create a, um, a snapshot of something in a particular moment? Um, and how do you bring different histories together? How do you bring uh, the 1980s together with uh, the present moment? How do you think about this uh, juncture, this constellation of, of different histories and moments? Um, and of course, for the artists working in the 1980s, that was really important. How could they, how could Lubaina Himid think about Tucson Louverture and the first um, successful um, uprising in Haiti? How could she think about that in relation to Thatcher's Britain? You know, so this idea of montage of, of history kind of reforming in the present became a very um, important device within the, within the show. Um, and of course, the, this, this allowed me to say, okay, this is not about marking a, a beginning and an end of a movement. It's not about uh, tracking a certain chronology. It's about bringing together a kind of conversation, bringing together, um, bringing together these different elements and to put them alongside one another and to say, okay, this is not fixed. This is constantly, constantly in flux, constantly um, uh, in movement. Um, and so in, in Nottingham, we had over uh, 40 artists, over 100 works, um, a series of archival um, presentations that were uh, curated by 
uh, people either working in the 80s or who have since uh, formed archives, artists like uh, Marlene Smith, Claudette Johnson, Keith Piper, who were working on the uh, Black Art Group Research Project, uh, Lubaina Himid with her Making Histories Visible archive in Preston, June Giovanni, who has a, a film archive. Um, so to bring those archives within to the show um, and to kind of um, really think about how histories are formed, how they're um, archived, um, and to also contextualize a lot of the material within the exhibition. Um, so that exhibition um, was in its kind of largest guise, I guess, in Nottingham, and was then reconfigured in the South London Gallery um, later in the year, and also in Middlesbrough. Um, and what the kind of I think what was so interesting about having the opportunity to, to rethink those exhibitions is you could really stress the fact um, that with different combinations of works, different combinations of artists, different combinations of archival materials, different stories emerge, different um, histories can be told. And I think that was one of the, the most important things for me about the exhibition is that we understand history, these histories, histories in toto as very fluid, as things that are always changing depending where you're looking from, depending who's telling them, depending the context you're in. Um, and I think it's something that is probably resonates with the exhibition here, both in terms of this idea of a, uh, a polyphony, uh, but also in terms of the kind of intergener intergenerational perspectives that, uh, that the exhibition speaks to. Um, so that may be a bit rambling, but that kind of hopefully gives some sense of the, of the Places Here exhibition. Um, Rashid's retrospective is, is more straightforward to talk about in a certain sense because it was a, a quite a classic retrospective. Rashid uh, Arain, who's an artist who has been uh, working for the past 60 years, uh, since 1964, uh, he's been living in London. Uh, he was born just outside Karachi. Um, uh, he has been a, uh, is a painter, sculptor, perhaps probably most uh, well-known as the founder and editor of Third Text Journal, a really vital um, contributor to uh, post-colonial, anti-colonial uh, theory in the 90s and 2000s. Um, and... Um, Rashid's retrospective came out of the 80s show. Um, so when I was doing the 80s show, and Rashid was such an important figure for many of the artists working in the 80s. He was an older generation, um, and um, he was invited to speak at the uh, first National Black Art Convention in 82 in Wolverhampton. Um, of course, he curated the other story in 89. Um, and I was realizing when researching the Places Here exhibition that uh, Rashid, as an artist, um, as a thinker, as a figure, um, was, was everywhere. Um, and then I started looking, kind of looking back at his work into the 70s, his performance work in the 70s, going back into the 60s, his minimalist sculptures, um, and even to his paintings in Karachi. Um, and then going forward to more, to more recent work um, and realizing there was this extraordinary body um, of work and this extraordinary story of Rashid's that had never been told. Um, and, you know, as a curator working in a museum, this is, this is gold dust. You're suddenly, okay, here is, you know, here's, here's the story that needs to be told. This needs to be made public. Um, and so with, um, you know, I went to see Rashid in his studio and very quickly it said, okay, we need to make this retrospective. We need to make this um, chronology, chronological tracking of, of uh, Rashid's uh, contribution, uh, Rashid's, Rashid's story. Uh, so the show is divided into five chapters which roughly demarcate uh, different periods in his life and his work. 
um, and we did a big, um, a big monograph that went with it, which included kind of 500 works, um, to really uh, make public this body of work, what it was, um, because there was bits and bobs here and there, but no one had put it on paper and say, okay, this is, this is Rashid Arin, this is his work, and, and that's what's there. Um, the show is just finished in, in Eindhoven, and it will tour to Geneva, uh, to Mamco in Geneva, and then it will come to the UK. It will be in Baltic in October, and then on to Moscow. So if you're in the north in October, please come and see it. <laughs> There's my plug. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. So in, in that show, which is arranged uh, chronologically, as you've said, um, we see an artist arriving in the UK and facing a form of uh, institutional deflection. So there's a period, firstly, where Rashid Arin is uh, rejected by various institutions, where he has trouble uh, showing work, quite simply. And this is followed by attempts to both kind of change those institutions from within. So... Uh, the kind of correspondence with, um, I think, is it, the, is it the Arts Council about organising the the other story? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, it's with the South Bank Centre. Yeah. South Bank Centre. So, yeah. um, so to change those institutions from within, so uh, organising the other story uh, at the Hayward Gallery, but then also to uh, build his own institutions with uh, first uh, Black Manifesto in the 1970s and then Third Text hmm. uh, slightly later on. So I just wondered if, for a bit of context, you could sketch out the uh, funding and institutional landscape as it was in those decades for uh, black, Asian and minority ethnic artists. So just quite simply, where would the opportunities have been? Mm. So I, I'll talk about it from the perspective of Rashid, because there I'm on perhaps safer ground okay. rather than um, pretending to be an expert on the minutiae of funding in the 70s um, but so so Rashid writes to the South Bank Centre to Andrew Dempsey uh, in 78 with the first idea to do a um, survey a kind of intergenerational again survey of um, artists uh, diasporic artists working in Britain in the post-war period um, and he and he um, suggests this show because there's just been in, in South Park Centre um, an exhibition of um, all women artists um, and he says um, this is an incredibly important moment for the South Bank Centre in Britain now is the time to do um, a show of black artists in Britain and to um, analyse their, their kind of contribution towards modernism um, he doesn't get a response for, I don't know, six, seven months or so, and it takes 11 years before this exhibition is, is subsequently realised. Um, those 11 years in terms of um, funding possibilities um, mark a huge kind of seismic shift in the way um, places like the Arts Council, uh, Greater London, Channel 4, um, all start... Um, uh, making money available um, to uh, working with uh, working with black artists, working with um, uh, different community organisations. Um, so I suppose in the 1970s you could say that there uh, this was um, there was no possibilities whatsoever, um, and Rashid's suggestion was was. Um, as I say, it took six months even to get a, a response to say that this was not a possibility. Uh, by 1989, uh, the other story takes place at the South Bank Centre. I mean, we can talk about what happens after that, actually, which I think is, is equally important. Um, but through the 1980s, through the GLC, um, 
through BFI, there is a there is a huge shift in terms of uh, resources being um, uh, being made available. Um, how they're used, we can again talk about and discuss. Um, but that's when the shift occurs in the 1980s. Okay, so sort of um, so in that kind of in initial uh, period of, uh, of of frustration, where where use again using Rashid as a case study. Where was he able to to show or kind of get have critical feedback about his work? Where was where would work have been shown and discussed? Um, so, from, uh, in the case of Rashid, um, the only space really in the 70s um, was uh, Artists for Democracy um, and this uh, formerly Signals, which was run by uh, Dave Medella, um, where uh, he was doing a really uh, interesting program of international. Artists. This is where Rashid had his first solo show in the mid-70s, where he first did the performance uh, Paki Bastard, Portrait of an Artist as a Black Person. Um, uh, and David Medella for Rashid was, uh, was a really significant figure in terms of uh, his kind of uh, political and theoretical um, education, in a way. Um, of course, when you come to... Um, the 80s and many of the artists uh, working in the places here, um, they're doing a lot, a lot, a lot of self-organizing. So the shows are, they're curating the shows, they're organizing the shows, uh, they're putting them on, um, uh, firstly, uh, in, you know, kind of university spaces. Uh, they're organizing the convention, like self-organization, collective organization is key to um, the extraordinary energy that's happening at the beginning of the 80s. By, the, by, uh, by mid-80s, you've got a lot of the galleries, interestingly, outside Europe. I saw on Raju's diagram, London-centric was a, <laughs> was a thing that came up. A lot of the activities happening outside London, um, uh, you know, places like Bluecoat in uh, Liverpool, in Sheffield, um, these institutions, and you go to some of the regional collections, they've got amazing work from the 1980s because they were the ones paying attention, they were the ones buying it. Um, so again, by the mid-80s, you've got this shift, and then of course, um, you know, in 89, late 80s, you've got the Whitechapel Gallery show, From Two Worlds, you've got the other story in 89. Uh, then it's kind of, you know, London wakes up and takes notice. Um, but it took a long time for that, for that to happen. I mean, one of, one of the things that's really, really striking, looking back at that, at the moment when funding uh, starts to be kind of released for groups like um, Black Audio or Sanko for film, film and videos, um, just to think about the the spaces where those works would be would be would be seen um so uh, in in more of an avalanche there are two works by the newsreel collective who were a group who worked with young people on the east end of london to make um kind of educational issue-based films so there's one that kind of really thinks about uh, race and racism divide and rule never and one uh, true romance etc that thinks about um sex gender and and stereotypes and um one of the original members of the group, uh, Paul Morrison, came to see the, the show, and we, uh, I, I asked him like, where would these where would these films have been shown, and they were because as they were educational, as you might expect, they were shown in schools, but also in all of these kind of spaces which have like disappeared now. So, like youth clubs, community centres, said it was quite common to have uh, rooms made available by um, by local council, and um, I mean that's kind of. Maybe like in, a, in, a, in an educational context, mm. but was that kind of 
do you think did you come across that kind of looking at kind of visual yeah, I mean I think also a lot of the um, a lot of the film collectors for example uh, Black Audio Cheddar Sankofa they're organizing a lot of um, workshops um, community based workshops in terms of like how to make film how to edit film how to produce film and a lot of these things um, yeah a lot of these things are happening on quite a low key level um, and you've got that's made possible because um, in the instance of the film collectives uh, Channel 4 are giving long term funding to these organisations which is extraordinary imagine Channel 4 now um, giving uh, like two three year bursaries uh, to a you know to a film collective a young film collective um, so and 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 part of that remit was to go out and do uh, workshops filmmaking workshops um, and so yeah there was a lot of um, a lot of activity that was happening away from um, away from gallery spaces and away from institutional spaces that's quite interesting that was a sort of stipulation of of the funding that it would yeah exactly okay exactly you give a context for the work as one where a generation of black artists are coming through art school and looking for images of black people in the media and art history but are only presented with a very white European art history so in this exhibition more of an avalanche um, many of the artists have been able to look back and see work produced by the very generation that you've researched for those projects um, there are kind of many examples of influence uh, even of direct conversation or pedagogical links between the two and kind of intergenerational conversation sort of really emerges as a key theme in the show. But I was, I was wondering where ultimately did the generation you researched uh, have to turn to find what they were looking mm. for? I mean, you gave the example of Lubaina Hamid um, looking back at kind of big history, history looking yeah. at Toussaint Louverture. Yeah, I mean, I think the the the, um, the story that I was mentioning um, this was Claudette Johnson, um, who and Marlene Smith talk about a lot of the artists talking about um, going to their uh, art teachers at art school um, and you know saying where are the where are images of in Claudette's case where are images of, of black women um, and art schools art, art teachers saying quite simply there aren't any they're not there they're not. Uh, they're not there, and the and the and the black artists aren't there in terms of the art history. So this was like a just was a just a kind of de facto inbuilt <laughs> um, exclusion or amnesia or blindness that was w that was there in art schools. Um, and um, you know, I think it's it's also really important to say that when we're talking about these artists, we're talking about many different positions, groups, so I would not want to kind of give some sort of um, homogenous um, overview. Um, but, you know, you've got, for, the, for artists like Eddie Chambers working in the Black Art Group, they're looking very much at, like, what's happening in America and Pan-Africanism. Um, they're looking at kind of um, uh, much more uh, radical... Uh, thinkers, um, you've got um, the filmmakers who um, are really reliant on a lot of the film festivals coming in, like Third Eye Film Festival, looking at um, third cinema makers from Latin America, from West Coast America. Um, so they're really having to look 
uh, outside Britain, that's for sure, um, except maybe with the case of uh, Rashid. And they're often looking to, um, they're often looking to political activists, um, to theorists, rather than, uh, mm -hmm. rather than artists. Yeah, Stuart Hall in Birmingham. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so w one of the like, really crucial kind of keywords in more of an avalanche is uh, the, the word snowflake. So it's a term that relatively recently has begun to be used as a pejorative and to shut down uh, complaints. So if you call someone a snowflake, you reduce their complaint to whining and their vulnerability to oversensitivity. Um, you tell them that they shouldn't be listened to. So that's the context in which uh, one makes a complaint today. And so much of the work in this show almost anticipates being criticised for oversensitivity. I, I just wondered how that climate compares to uh, the period you researched. I know there's a, kind of, there's a precedence in terms like uh, the, lo the loony left or mm. political correctness gone mad. Um, but I wondered whether the artists you looked at needed to think about how their work might be received by an audience that would be unsympathetic in this way or whether it, perhaps it wasn't really a concern at all. Just mm. I think, you know, I think it's probably um, more that it was that society uh, in the 70s, certainly in the late 70s, was just more openly racist. You know, I think, um, uh, you know, Rashid talks about talks about it in the late 60s, early 70s as, you know, saying racism was was overt and it was legal. Um, so the idea to be um, uh, sort of called out for your, uh, for your position, um, you know, it hadn't got to that step yet even. It was yeah. just still at the stage of, um, of overt racism. So first it was about, um, uh, you know, 1979 in Britain is the year that the most candidates from the National Front are fielded in uh, elections. You know, this is a really, it's at the end of the uh, Labour government, uh, which has economically depressed the country. It's a really fractured, fraught moment in Britain. So uh, racism is, is just everywhere. Um, so it's a, I think it's quite a different context in, in, in that sense. So it's a, first and foremost, it's about having having your um, voice heard, having your uh, image seen. Um, it's a question of visibility and audibility um, before it gets to anything near ideas of political correctness. You see what I mean? It's kind of... Yeah, yeah. There's, a long, there's still, a long uh, still a long road to go. I guess you kind of maybe see that transition in a work like That Rush, which, uh, Isaac Julian's That Rush, which is in the gallery, mm. which looks at how... Uh, I guess essentially how the right to talk to each other and how uh, kind of racist tactics would have to be kind of hidden, camouflaged, um, how they become more uh, more sophisticated mm. kind of when when they go underground. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I think seeing that work, which is what, like 92, 93? 93. Yeah. Um, and it's so resonant today, you know, you can imagine the very similar talk shows happening <laughs> yeah. um, uh, at the moment in, in the 